welcome. You've got mail. Welcome everybody to TechStream. This is another episode. And of course, my name is Seth Everett. He is the CEO of the Palmer Group, Shelly Palmer. Shelly, it is the holiday times. Hanukkah's over already. And to tell you the truth, it's amazing because for the Jews, they've already hit New Year's. It's already 2022 or 5782 <laughs> or whatever the year is. They're in the future. We're still stuck in the past. What's going on, my man? Well, you know, the Jewish holidays are never on time. So they're either early or late. So Hanukkah was early this year. Uh, happy Hanukkah to all those who celebrate. Yeah, if you do, it, it, you don't. You, you do. You know, but the, the thing was, as December hit, uh, the markets crashed. Everything just changed. COVID is back. And, you know, we're supposed to be evolving from this. We're all vaccinated, or at least we hope you are vaccinated. You know, 32 million people are not vaccinated in this country. The reality of it is, is that those guys are very, very vulnerable. Forget about what you think about them. You have to worry about these folks. There's another new variant. Yeah, there is. And, you know, it's Omicron. Uh, it, it's interesting, Seth. There are variants of COVID, according to the WHO and the CDC, and then there are variants of concern. Right. And then there's I think the two characterizations they use are variants of interest, VOIs and variants of concern, VOCs. And that's how they sort of um, prioritize the global monitoring and the research and ultimately what they use to inform the response to COVID-19. What's interesting to me is. When you give something a name, it becomes newsworthy. Now, I understand scientifically there's there are variants of concern and variants of interest because viruses mutate. That's what they do. That's how they survive, right? We figure out a way to vaccinate against a virus or we develop some immunity to a virus and it has to mutate and evolve in order to survive. Otherwise it, it, it would go extinct like so many life forms do every day. So, but when you give something a name, you give the news organizations something to do. They used to only name a few hurricanes a year. Then they realized some minor storms could be, could be named Sure. And all of a sudden you're naming tropical depression, like you're naming things that didn't have names. And now it makes the news. Everybody seems to look at the anthropomorphized storm and, and because it's got a name, we can concentrate on it. So I don't know how many other variants of interest or variants of concern have emerged because I'm not an epidemiologist. And to be fair and frank, I don't follow it that closely, but I am a child of the media and I am a student of the media. And I know if you give something a name and you hand it to the media, you're going to learn about it. So look at the coverage we've had over the past week. Look, look at the coverage and you tell me, everyone who has gotten this, is, is it more... Uh, it, is Omicron more virulent? Is it more contagious? Is it like, I, I don't know. Is it more deadly? Are there more hospitalizations? Are there more deaths? I don't know. I can't find well, a not, report. Not yet. Not right. Yet. But not but, at the time of this recording. No, not at the time of this recording. And I'm in no way trying to pretend I'm a scientist and I'm in no way trying to pretend I know the future. And I'm in no way trying to tell you I know the severity of any given variant of interest or variant of concern. What I do know is that I've learned about this prematurely because at the moment, other than the fact that there's a variant that's traveling around, no one has told me what that means. Everyone said, and we'll let you know. So it's, I can't, you can't literally type in the word COVID into Google and not see 
Omicron, Omicron, um, everywhere you look, there's every single news story. And somewhere in the news story, after scaring the hell out of you at the front, there's a new variant that's, you know, more, maybe in quotes, more virulent, maybe more like you find out, but we don't know yet. So if we don't know yet, what is it? And the reason is, is it's got a name and you can concentrate on it. I got to say, that's not fair to the population right now. Uh, what's the response going to be? I've got, I've got half, I got literally half my clients call me up saying, what, what do you think we're going to do? Like our, our trade shows right, going to be canceled. CES canceled. Or, well, yeah. Can I not travel? What, what, what's the plan now? How you know, are we, we reacting to it? It's not just CES, right? It's sales meetings, it's summits, it's all these private meetings. Like, well, you know, maybe we all shouldn't get together with the client in Chicago. I think we'll do a Zoom. It's like, okay. Uh, why? Well, Omicron, we don't know what that's about. It's like, we don't. That's right. We don't know what that's about. Everybody's been double or triple vaxxed. We've got masks. The airlines have good protocols. Um, we don't know what this is about. So I'm feeling like I'm, a, I'm getting abused by the news media now in a way that I look, I guess we're always abused by the news media, but I'm really mm -hmm. feeling a bit abused now, not because they reported something they're supposed to report it, but you can't lead with the fear mongering and then bury in the ninth paragraph, the idea that nobody knows anything. And you're just reporting this because it's got a name and you can lay, you know, you can, you can give it a, a headline that, that to me is irresponsible. And I'm, I usually am not embarrassed about the industry that I come from, but this one, this one bothers me this week. Well, the, the thing about the media and I'm not defending it. I, I'm just playing devil's advocate here is that with the majority of the country vaccinated to have the vaccination debate on a news show is getting old. You know, it's, it, it's almost like anyone who is not convinced by now, you're not getting it. And nothing we can say in the media is going to change. You know, and I, I use the proverbial we. And the argument, at least from my perspective, was Omicron was a reminder that this is real. Yeah. But we've also seen stories where, you know, the, 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 the cycle, you know, I didn't trace news ratings during COVID on just COVID stuff, because don't forget, COVID happened during an election year. Right. So you didn't see, you know, you, you, you can't gauge, you can't say that, you know, between Fox News and CNN and MSNBC, they all saw spikes. They always see spikes in a presidential election year. So that's not a proper bar barometer. I do know that in journalism, we have seen some ugly incidents and I'll, I'll reference an, a really ugly incident where you saw a rating spike because of a controversial subject. And you tried to milk it for as long as you could to keep people's attentions on it. And that was the Jerry Sandusky Penn State scandal. Yeah. The Penn State scandal was over. Paterno was removed. Paterno had died. And that story was still going. And you wondered, what was the point of that? What, what, what was the idea? And it was very simple. ESPN saw a spike in their news coverage and their ratings had increased and they wanted to milk it as far as they could. Are we falling victim to that with Omicron? Because well, are the news cycles just saying, hey, we have to latch on to this because if we don't, people are going to tune out. Look, it's the, it, the media business, the modern media business, more than any other time in the last, I'm going to call it 70 years. Every news organization has a PL now. No news is done because it's supposed to be done. News is done for profit. It is 
almost exclusively with very few exceptions uh, based the, the money they make is based on ratings. And so you have to align the outcomes and the incentives. If the outcome you want is high ratings, then you have got to put train wrecks. It's, uh, there, there's an old adage in the media business. It's a, a t- wear-worn cliche. If it bleeds, it leads. Mm-hmm. Right? The headline, you know, gr- gr- fantastic new prize cow at the state fair is going to get you nothing. The Girl Scout cookie sale starts in two weeks. Uh, we were interviewing the head of the Girl Scout cook, nothing. You know, monster explosion in Queens, house is destroyed, six people injured. Like, you can't, well, house blew up. What do you mean? I, that's people love a train wreck. And, you know, I started the music business and I did a lot of news themes, you know, that uh, for television stations. Um, uh, one of the things we did was we used to do promo uh, beds, music that would go underneath promos for news which is a weird concept, right? I mean, we did the themes, right? This is the Palmer News theme. News package, that's been out forever. But we would have like various little beds that they would use for promotions. So they had names and you're going to laugh. You could never do this today because it's politically incorrect. But if you look at the cue sheets from 30 years ago, one cut would be called Killer Chickens. And the other, you know, it's like, these are, because just to, okay, this is the killer chicken promo. It's like, wow, okay. Uh, there, there were far worse names than that, but, but they were named for what they were. And yeah, you wanted the suspenseful music when the suspenseful story happened. And by the way, 30 years ago, when we started doing that kind of stuff, real news people, in quotes, real, freaked out. News should not have music. News should not have graphics that are tied to a story. You know, today when a crisis happens, if, you know, heaven forbid, there's another mass shooting, which, you know, happens unfortunately too frequently, or when there's some kind of natural disaster, it takes about 20 seconds for them to get graphics up and then some kind of thematic music underneath it that is either suspenseful or uh, sensationalizing the, the graphic in some way. It's entertainment, Seth. So if your outcome is to have high engagement, high ratings, and that's what you're incentivized against so that your ratings are the highest, what would we expect? We're getting it. That, and that's not an indictment against the media. That's an indictment against the outcome and incentive misalignment. We're looking at it as a source of information. They're looking at it as a way to keep us glued to the screen. The argument uh, that, that comes, so, so what should somebody who's listening to this I guess the, the real question is, how seriously should we take this? Do we go back to masks and are we going back? Are we going backwards in time or are we going forwards in time? So from my perspective, Seth, A, you and I are not professionals. So we have no idea how seriously to take Omicron. We don't know. We can't know. We're not epidemiologists. We can't know. Where are the trusted news sources? You and I could argue, well, the WHO and the CDC those sites should have the best available information. You can look at John Hopkins for case numbers, but what does any of that actually mean to you and me? The only thing I can say is what I do, right? I can't control anyone's actions. I can't even make a recommendation with a straight face. I don't think there are news sources that have any more information than you and I have. If you Go to CDC, you go, go to WHO. Are you getting straight information? Are you getting the best available information? I have no way to know that. 
So the way that I dealt with it with my family is all of us that were eligible got vaccinated. All of us that were eligible got boosters. Mm-hmm. And we're still very careful. But, and I think what Omicron did to my family is we just got more careful again. We were getting out, we were wearing masks, of course, we were trying to be, you know, doing all the things, wash your hands, social distance, be responsible. We were doing all that, but we were going out where everybody was vaxxed. We'd take our masks off inside and we'd hang out and it was starting to become like more like normal. We have a lot of friends, everybody's sort of, uh, everybody is about getting vaccinated. Everyone is about getting careful. Everybody has elderly parents and young kids are trying to protect. So it's our community, our personal community was very easy to trust and very easy to be part of. And all of a sudden everybody's like, oh, wow, what's this? We're just an abundance of caution. And until we get better information from official sources, the problem is the same problem that we always have with science, Seth. And I think it's probably important to bring up today. So it's a good segue into the biggest problem that science has against uh, all other arguments. The scientific method has a hypothesis that's testable and you test it by experimentation. Others peer review and or try to repeat your experiment when everybody's agreed that this is the best theory at the moment, then it becomes the best theory of the moment. But Albert Einstein said it best. He said, there are no number of experiments that can prove me right. It will only take one experiment to prove me wrong. And a lot of people don't like that. They don't like the idea that science by definition says it doesn't know. They see that as a weakness when it is actually ultimately the most powerful and it's the strength. It is the most powerful thing about the scientific method. A, you can hold a couple of opposing views in your head at the same time and you can test and test and test until one of them surfaces as the best idea. It's like, okay, this is the best theory we have of the case right now. Why you would think that that's something you read on Facebook or something that someone tells you or that they heard is more valid than the scientific method when it comes to giving you the best possible information at the moment. And that's all we can hope for. So if you are of the mind that, well, the scientists don't know anything, they keep changing their mind. That's exact. That's exactly it. That's exactly right. right. They keep changing their mind, not because they want to change their mind because new evidence surfaces that causes forces, someone who is schooled in the art, someone who believes in the scientific method to go, you know what? We have a better theory now. What we believed wasn't true. This is what's true today. This is more virulent. This is more deadly. This will cause more hospitalizations. By the way, this is more contagious, but it's less deadly. It causes less hospitalizations. Those, we could learn that too. But until we learn something, taking stuff on faith makes no sense. And blaming science is not fair. Blaming science because it doesn't know is like saying, wow, well, those experiments don't, don't, I mean, you are alive today because of the scientific method and all the science that's come before us. Anyone who's ever been to a hospital, everyone who's ever been treated for an illness and survived, you're here because somebody rigorously tested, rigorously tested. And the one in a million shot where you got better with a placebo or you got better and no one knows why it happens. Of course it happens. And people sit back and go, they don't, that's not a miracle in the world of the scientific method. That's an anomaly that needs to be understood. And it's not you, you, you don't look up to the heavens and thank the maker. You're well, you're welcome to do that, but that's not going to change the outcome, nor is it going to explain the outcome. 
Right. There is an explanation. And if it can't be found, that doesn't mean you stop trying to find it. You go look harder. That is the scientific method. It is the reason that modern medicine is modern medicine. And the fact that modern medicine is confused by this should tell you a lot about how dangerous and how new it is. I mean, we're looking at, we're looking at drugs now where they're actually talking about being able to minimize AIDS, the HIV virus, to the point where it's undetectable in the body and it's safe to have unprotected sex. Two decades ago, you, that was, that was a death, unheard of. Was yeah, a death was sentence. So like things evolve and things change by the scientific method. So let's give the scientists a little uh, credit. And by the way, the next time somebody who is a scientist tells you they don't know, they don't understand, they, they have evidence that something is, they have evidence of dark matter, they have evidence of dark energy, they have no idea what it is. That doesn't make them stupid. It makes them searchers and seekers of truth. I, I just wish everybody would sort of sit back and understand that. And we all need to be seekers of truth, Seth. We all need to sit back and go, I don't know where this information is coming from. Let me get more information, not let me take on faith some meme I saw on Facebook as the ultimate answer. But what if somebody comes out and says, you know what? I'm tired of this. I'm done. I'm done. I've, I've had this experience. I, I wear the masks. I do the thing. I, I, I just don't want to hear it anymore. That person's not ignorant. And that person's That's not right. really They're, wrong. Like I empathize with that person. I do too. And just because you're bored doesn't mean COVID is gone. Like I'm right. done with COVID. I'm so done with COVID in my head. I, I don't want to know about it anymore. I don't want to think about it anymore. But I'm also not, I don't have a death wish. I'm not. Well, I thought about it for students because you and I both, you know, work in, in uh, colleges. Yeah. Um, once Omicron came out, I, the, the, the mask rules are not getting lifted for next semester. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's probably right. And it, it's look, I, I but, think but I, I, I hated it. I, I, I hate it. I, I, I wear masks and I want to state uh, the greatest place to wear a mask, by the way, public restrooms, public restroom. Put that mask on. I don't care. Covid, nothing. That place is gross. Put your mask on. But the reality of it is, is in colleges, these kids are not learning the same way. They're not. It, you don't hear the teacher. You don't express yourself as much. Your 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 inclination to participate minimizes because of those stupid masks. I don't disagree. As you know, I was up at Syracuse uh, at the Newhouse School two weeks ago, and we talked about it last week. I did a stage show for a couple hundred kids in an amphitheater, and I was on stage. They they asked me to wear a mask on stage. I have pictures from the event. And everybody's in a mask and I'm in a mask. It's like, why did you bother taking pictures? You can't tell who I am. It's I like, that's kind of silly. And, but it was safe and everybody got out of there safe. And look, just because you're bored doesn't mean this is over. I, I, I empathize with everyone who is done with this. I'm psychologically, I was done with this months ago, but it doesn't mean it's over. And I think, you know, when you let your guard down, Seth, that's, that's the time you get into trouble. I have a, a business story I tell when I do executive training and we talk about complacency in the workplace as a leader, the difference between leadership and management, if you will. And I have a, a story I tell, and I don't know, it, it's conjecture on my part. It has nothing to do with anything based in reality. But the way I tell the story is I put a picture of the Titanic in its uh, at, at the dock when it's loading up with people, you know, when it's in its most magnificent state. And I, and I, then I put a picture of the captain up and I said, this is the captain, you know, who basically went to sleep and said full speed ahead. I said, if a rookie captain is piloting that ship that night, it's still floating today. Mm. 
because a rookie captain would have been going three miles an hour with 29 lookouts flipped out that on his first official voyage in the North Atlantic, something bad might happen. And, and there was no way that was going to go down. An experienced captain's like, yeah, I got my orders. Looks good. Hey, throw someone in the crow's nest. Flank speed. I'm going to bed. Call me if anything crazy happens. And, you know, that's uh, complacency is really not good. And we're all guilty of it. When you become familiar with the situation, when you become experienced with the situation, when you do something over and over and over and over again, yeah. you just kind of go, yeah, do I really have to do this? Like, I'm done with this. We all, we're all guilty of that. Doesn't mean the virus won't kill you if you're not vaccinated. It, it, it can. And it shouldn't if you are. That's the promise, right? The promise is you won't die and you won't be hospitalized. There's no other promise. You still transmit it. You can still get it. The promise from the vaccine makers was if you're over a certain age, you're unlikely to die, you're unlikely to be hospitalized. That that's that was the anyone who thinks they're not going to get it because they have a vaccine didn't didn't follow these, didn't read the instructions. Yeah. So, and again, I'm not a medical professional. I'm not pretending to be a medical professional. I just know. No, and I don't think we're giving medical advice. You know, and, and I don't want to get into the controversy. Oh, you know, vaccines or this, that. Don't, don't, do me a favor. Don't put yeah. comments in there telling us yeah. it's the mark of the beast or any of this stuff. I, I don't want to have that conversation with anybody. I'm just saying that that I was sad they named this thing and I was sad they reported, uh, you may name anything you want. I just know from the hurricane business and the storm business that the minute you give the news media something with a name, they're on it like glue and it ain't never going away. Well, they're that, doing the uh, the Greek letters and they skipped N because they didn't want it to be the new variant. That's right. fantastic. That's amazing. And when when uh, Omicron got named, it sounded like someone from the Transformers. Yes, it did. Including the late, great Orson Welles, his last ever role. He played a character called Unicron. And I was like, oh, my God, just name it that. That'd be awesome. The, the memes alone would be fantastic. But. The only way that that's fantastic, Seth, is if it gets people to understand the seriousness of it. Clearly, people are going to die from 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 COVID and we shouldn't make light of it. But on the other hand, yeah, Unicron was cool. <laughs> that's right. And, and, and you know, it's, it's very funny because when I said that to my wife, she said, you so clearly never rushed a fraternity. <laughs> anyone in a fraternity or sorority knows what Omicron is like they, they, that. That's how people people know. And it's just so funny to see practical application to this stuff. I, I think the analogy you made with the hurricanes is, is funny, too, because now we're running out. We, we, we name so many storms. We run out of the first letters because they don't they're just not naming, they're naming they, everything. They're they're naming they, they, literally, they want the news coverage and they get it. You know, by the way, I have it on the highest authority that uh, climate change is a, is a hoax. Just kidding. That was I'm making a joke. Don't, don't give me that either. <laughs> Time no, you know, it's like it's like 50 Sign degrees. In New York. <laughs> it's like 50 degrees in New York today. It's the middle. It's the uh, middle of the winter. So it's like, OK, oops. Yeah. yeah, it's a real thing. But I will say as a follow up to last week, I charged my car. Yeah. Oh, did you get it? I got it. I have it. It is um, the Ionic plug in hybrid has a full tank of gas. Yeah. I had to I had to run the engine to get home from Long Island to New Jersey. But every day and I've gone to work, I've gone to the Prudential Center, I've done I've done things with it. I have never exceeded the 30 miles per charge. And I have the really slow charger, you know, the the level 1 charger, uh-huh. and I charge it overnight. I wake up, it's fully charged and I never touch the engine. That gas tank is never getting touched. It's it's a um, it's a real I will not go fill up that car. I will not fill up that car until spring. You'll see. It's a good looking car. For those of you who who it's Seth bought a Hyundai Ionic IO Ionic. IQ. Yep. 
And uh, did you get the five or what, 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 what model yeah, did you get? Yeah, it's the, uh, yeah. And it has um, these blue lights that show the charging. Uh-huh. And that's a very, very Knight Rider feel. I bet. It's- um, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Hyundai organization. We see them at CES a lot. And they have a, they made a commitment to be uh, carbon neutral by 2045. And they, they, this has been a, a long time coming from these guys. Uh, they have been in the sort of green energy innovation space from the really beginning. Cool, yeah. it, it, they, they are a really future thinking car company and you got to give these guys credit. I was, I was, I laughed when you said you were getting one. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. And you know, look, you could still get, you could still get a federal tax credit of up to 7,500 bucks. Yep. If you are getting either a hybrid or fully electric car, there are some state savings depending. In a lot of states, what you don't know about your electric cars, you can drive in an HOV lane. So you should know that. Yep. And as Seth just put out, there's a lot less gas uh, trips to the gas station, almost no oil, almost no oil changes. You have some, right. but you know, right. there are very few, close to zero, very few tailpipe emissions. The acceleration of that car is quick because it's electric, right? Well, the, the, the other cool thing is it, it connects to your phone and your phone tells you when it's fully charged. Yeah. So you don't yeah. leave it out all night. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I the one thing I had a little bit of uh, consternation about was um, we have a one car garage and we have two cars. Oh, and so I don't put my car in the garage because we put crap in there. You know, we put stuff, you know, (laughs) toys and bicycles and whatever. We Now you have to, because we're at least got to run a cord. No, we don't. We don't. The wire sticks out underneath the garage door. There you go. Yeah. And what I am fearful of, because they always talk about car thefts, but nobody's stealing this car. I just, I wonder if someone's going to try to unplug it. Well, let's hope we don't live in a world where someone would come and play that prank. You know, the one thing about the Ionic, it's it's funny the gas crisis. The, and I'm going to date myself now. The original gas crisis in the 70s. 70s gas crisis. Yeah. So I was in grade school, and everyone was talking about maybe we'll go back to sailing ships for cargo, right? Mm-hmm. Some kind of sail barges for cargo because it's so expensive to run an oil tanker, mm-hmm. uh, a cargo ship with with, with uh, regular marine fuel. And we were talking about cars, and I was sitting there, and I thought to myself, I wonder if you could charge a car by breaking it with a, with a leaf spring and that would roll up as you hit the brakes and then use the leaf spring to accelerate the car when the was, I was drawing it and drawing it and drawing it. And I kept thinking, I wonder how you, I was too young to patent something. But, uh, and I, I really thought about it long and hard. And I, I, in my dad's house, I found my early notebooks from grade school where I had all of these elaborate drawings of leaf spring braking systems for cars that would accelerate the car and the reason that i i did that was that i was told by the we were we were learning about combustion engines in science class and you know the rotary engine was the that the mazda goes "Hmm," you know the rotary engine was was just getting started the wankel engine and the uh i learned in school that the car uses the most amount of fuel when it accelerates and I thought, well, wait, you could probably store the, you know, take the kinetic en- energy and make a potential energy. Right. By- so when Hyundai started with the, their, their green innovation, one of the first things they put in the car was what they call regenerative braking, 
And that endeared me to them immediately. It's like, I thought of that when I was in sixth grade. It's amazing. (laughs) It's like, I was so excited to see it in action. And they don't do it the same way. They have a much more sophisticated way of doing it. But I was like, I I lost my mind. I just thought like, wow, these guys are right on it. That's, and, and I asked the engineer, this goes back a few years. I asked the engineer, the product manager, if that, you know, if, why, if that was right, if what I was taught was right, that the car uses more fuel and the whole thing got the whole physics lesson. So it was, it was great. So I'm really awesome. happy you have that car and I'm glad you bought a Hyundai. I'm not shilling for Hyundai. I don't own one, but I've always loved the, the product people at Hyundai and I've always loved the company. They have done a great job and I like their commitment. 2045 feels like realistic that they could be carbon neutral and Lord knows we need this planet to be carbon neutral at the earliest possible moment. Yeah, but in 30 degrees, I'm rolling down my windows just because I want to hear it not have an engine. <laughs> like I want to hear it's it's so funny it's it's so funny how uh, I do it but if in an emergency if you said to me hey uh, we need to meet we need to meet and it's 45 minutes away you know 60 miles or so I yep. just flip a switch and the engine starts and it revs up and then you you go so it's not it's not that pe- that pressure to oh my god am i charged am i charged am i charged yeah no range anxiety look good for you seth uh use it well use it in good health and i everybody uh like i said i'm not shilling hyundai but yeah if you if you have a, a lifestyle a work-life balance that allows you to get either a hybrid or an electric car it's time to do your bit to save the planet i'm, I'm all for that i, I don't want to characterize myself as a tree hugger but i am a human being that does like to breathe oxygen so yeah. i would like there to be some uh, for me and my grandchildren and, and their grandchildren, and their grandchildren, and their right. grandchildren, it's not going to be our grandchildren. It'll be their. Yeah. The, the, you know, we do have limited resources. I, I think all of us grew up in a, in a world where we didn't, we were not made to understand that, that there are limited resources on this planet. And by limited, meaning there's a limit. Once you exceed that limit, we're in serious trouble. And I just, I, f- I feel like we were just all brought up to, to the utopian view, the true utopian view of the future. Flying cars that you like to talk about all yeah. the time. Right? We're going to have flying cars and we're going to have, you know, teleportation and we're going to have all food processing. And all. no one, no one ever sat down and said, oh, and by the way, it's going to put a, it's going to release carbon from the soil and from the ground that has been buried for millennia. uh, And in some cases for millions of years, in most cases for millions of years, it's going to, you know, damage and just down the list, it's going to kill these number of species. It's going to damage the ecosystem. Like they'll never tell you that part when they talk about the flying car ever. They only ever talk about all the, you know, better life through chemistry, better life through technology. I I love technology. It's a business we're in, Seth. You know that. But at some point, yes, we do. Yeah. uh... But you need you need to be a little more realistic about the fact that if you do something, it will have an impact. So the long way of saying, hey, folks, you know, if you you can get into it, use some way you can use less carbon. You can keep some more of it locked away uh, in the Earth's crust as opposed to in the atmosphere where it's not going to do us any good. That'd be awesome. And uh, in December, Knight Rider is now on Netflix. That's my gift to you. (laughs) That'll do it for this edition of TechStream. We'll see you next week.